0: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger.
1: And I'm the other one, Neopo.
0: And this week, we're chatting about the twee horrors of Night School Studios' Oxenfree. Released in 2016, Oxenfree follows Alex and a group of friends who are traveling to Edwards Island to do what teenagers do, Party. But upon arriving and fooling with forces they don't understand, the gang unleashes a paranormal force onto the island, which they must contend with. So this was a game that you and I, I believe, haven't played really since it was originally released. No. Um, and so in getting to revisit it this previous week, um, was there an aspect to free that kind of held up for you better than you remembered? Um, apart from
1: the vibe itself, which is just, you know, it has that wonderful atmosphere and the music that goes with it. But for the most part, you know, that conversation system that was so great to begin with and so, like, fresh and revelatory back then, you know, a lot of that still sticks really well. You know, it's just... The conversation just flows nicely and the fact you can just interrupt and it adjusts. You know, like I said on Twitter, it's like, there's occasions now where you can kind of see the cracks in it, but, but it generally still just blows a lot of games out of the water. And yeah, it's yeah I think it's been better as a system yeah since then
0: yeah I was really surprised with how well that held up and you know for people that haven't gotten around to Oxenfree basically it is a game that is devoid of traditional cutscenes to tell its stories right it's kind of this free flowing narrative that doesn't really have any slowdown in that regard because of the fact that you have basically a three branch kind of response to whatever's being said to Alex or Alex has the option to you know comment on conversations that are occurring between other characters. And so it's three different options that are branching, but each of the branches seem very natural, right? And it's not just sort of like the calm or the aggressive type of response. Like there's a good amount of variety there in terms of how you can respond to certain situations Mm. or even choosing not to respond. It was funny, you know, in doing some uh, digging in terms of replaying this, making my decisions and then looking to see like what decisions change uh, certain aspects of the narrative and whatnot later on down the line. Apparently there's like people on Reddit that play through this and they've done a run where they have her not speak at yeah, all. Yeah, there's a trophy for it. Which yeah. is like, <laughs> it's like very it's very interesting to have a game that is narrative focus and the, you can have the option of just simply rolling with the punches and not providing input on yeah. things. Um, but just overall, like again, I'm really taken with this game's ability to kind of like very quickly sink you into this character, into this world, you get the sense that there's a real history between these people and that there's a lot going – that has gone on, you know, before you actually arrive on Edwards Island and meet these characters. But it does so in a way that feels just very natural. It doesn't feel like, oh, you know, there's this sort of, I suppose, artificial conflict that gets brought up between them or anything like this. It kind of just feels like, oh, it's a group of teenagers that are dealing with teenage shit and then, you know, some of them have more baggage than yeah, others.
1: Absolutely.
0: I think that conversation
1: system is an interesting one when you look at the history of you know the developers at that time, which were just a tiny team night school, mm. you know two of which being cousins, so it's like you know one had worked on telltale games you know, so that was that yep. obvious thing um and you know, uh, they've worked at disney which is funny considering you know night school then got bought out by a big streaming company down the line yep. <laughs> after that <laughs> i say just a quick aside that was a weird thing playing the game for the first time since then to have that netflix studio thing come up at the beginning i was like oh yeah what about that <laughs> it's like yeah yeah but yeah um you can see lessons learned from that i think in terms of like well If you'd been at Telltale and you'd seen how those conversation systems have worked, you know, we discussed them way back when we talked about The Walking Dead, and there's a stilted nature to them that you can't avoid because you you have to have these responses, a timer, and set... And it's such a great refinement of that to have it where it's like, it's not about everything mattering necessarily. It's just everything. Everything works under the same system. Every conversation, not just bits and bobs, which I think is the, the strong way to go really. And it really just ends up being, you know, quite exemplary in its uh, field because I can't think of a game that's just constantly giving you branches that, don't feel like they matter. I mean, it's clear when some conversation moments are meant to be big moments, you know, like that, but Mm. still, like you said, it's got almost like the conversational version of an immersive sim, you know, and the fact that you could play it many different ways and many different styles and that true thing that these kind of games were supposed to have, you know, where it's like you can tell the story your own way, you know, you are directing a show or a movie or whatever and you can make it how you want to which always focuses on decisions, big choices, things like that, right. where having it be more granular like this, I think that ends up being the better option, doesn't it? it just, it's just amazing that it took that long to get here as an idea, but yeah it still feels fresh What it's now four, seven years now since it came out, so Yeah. Remarkable.
0: Well, that system works so well. And I think that it's because it complements overall Oxenfree's approach to having this, you know, sort of twee horror that is very much focused on relationships in these things. And from a gameplay standpoint, right, it's pretty light puzzle solving. And it's more about just, again, exploring the island with these people and how that influences relationships while digging up the past, which then informs how the player might make certain decisions moving forwards through the haunting and everything Mm -hmm. like that. But, you know, the fact that the stakes, like, there are big narrative stakes in terms of, like, are you going to be able to get everybody off the island? Is anybody going to be left behind? These types of things. Is someone going to succumb to the entity in a more final way? But overall, you know, the game being removed from sort of the traditional... I suppose, gaminess of horror, which is like you can fail or you can die, these types of things. And it being just more focused on the characters, their relationships, and those decisions that you're making don't necessarily have the, the signature like telltale moment where yeah. it's like, oh, uh, so-and-so will remember that, yeah. right? You do get a little diagram that shows like somebody being influenced or taking notice of something yeah. you said, but that has more emphasis on the relationships rather than the necessary like, fate of a character, or having some drastic ramification, which, if anything, I would say that I prefer Oxenfree's approach to dialogue in that way, because at the end of the day, I'll be more experimental than if I was playing a Telltale game like mm. with The Walking Dead, where it's like, well, if I play through one specific run and I start making certain decisions early on, I'm probably not going to deviate much from the route that I began taking because the implication is, is that I could lose a character that I'm very fond of. But with Octune Free, now this being my second time, I could make different decisions in a way that felt a little more carefree yeah. and just like, oh, you know, well, I want to mix things up a little bit and don't have to worry about necessarily major ramifications for that experimentation, which I think really does kind of bleed into the overall vibe of this game being very much this sort of like relaxed lo-fi haunting rather than this game that's really concerned with something that maybe veers a little more into uh, the adult-tinged horror, which wouldn't make sense necessarily Mm. for the emphasis on this being very relationship-heavy and it being, you know, a cast of teenagers.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, going back to that as well, I think one of the cool things that you can do when you are making these choices is that if you have a new game plus, you can literally send a message from the previous run, you know, keeping this whole loop thing going like that, that basically mm. warns them of what's going to happen before they go. And they can literally just end the loop by not going to the island. Like, so it's like, yeah. I mean, that's again, you wouldn't know it unless you get these really specific set of the, you know, things done right. And yeah, you know, the way I play it, you know, I think in both occasions now have been, yeah, not really caring about what's what's going to get me a trophy, what's going to make me get this 100% of everything sort of thing. It's more a case of I want to just see where this conversation will take me if I go this way with it, how I treat this person. And again, that's just a real credit to the way they've handled that system, isn't it? Because you, you can't go into any conversation with this premeditated thing. Yeah, I'm doing this to mess you up or or get rid of you that you some stuff will come there and you will kind of forget yourself because it's all so quick and you know if you don't answer you just don't answer like that and so yeah you just say stuff in a very reactionary way which again just feeds into that natural flow that you have
0: yeah and having that option to simply not respond um you know i'm not as invested in the sort of The romance angle of this, right, where you find out like two characters like each other and you can choose to whether weigh in and influence that dialogue a bit more. And that's not necessarily the part of the story that I'm Mm -hmm. the most interested in. So there were some instances where I'm like, I don't particularly want to continue this line of dialogue. I'm just going to have Alex stay silent to the degree that that's sort of like the end of that conversation, which allows me to progress on to the next conversation that probably has something to do with the mystery or unpacking more of Alex's trauma. And sort of getting a better understanding of why she would respond in certain ways to certain things that are being said or certain discussions that she's being included in that you always almost feel like you're a half step behind sometimes. But I feel like the game does a good enough job of giving players that are willing to explore more of the dialogue in terms of like continuing a conversation, perhaps past where it might naturally go. In some instances, or just, you know, pursuing a line of dialogue that hints at like, oh, yeah. maybe this will open up more information about characters that are no longer here or just relationships that have been existing in this world for a while. But as the player, of course, we're you know playing catch up to yeah. that, um, which, again, I just always come back to just it's nice to dive into a dialogue system that has enough variety in options, but at the same time. Whether the player realizes it or not, they kind of can dictate how much attention is being given to certain beats along with the story, Um, which helps when you have a cast of characters that are written as well as they are that, you know, have a good amount of humor in them, too, which, of course, I'm always a fan of with games. And it's, it's so difficult to include humor in games, as we've kind of talked about on and off on the show. You know, humor is has a tendency to kind of either be delivered so subtly you might miss it in games or with the sledgehammer subtlety Mm. that it's like becomes (laughs) annoying within the span of 60 seconds. And with something like this, I found the humor does a great job of just doing what humor should with characters, which is informing you about certain characters and their sort of sensibilities and whatnot, which at sometimes can like give you a better and a quicker understanding of a character than digging into another character who maybe who has like a more trauma laced background or something along those lines. And, you know, I'm obviously kind of mostly talking about Ren, who is this sort of stoner friend, right? You kind of know everything you need to know about him from the first few interactions of his humor, but then as you know, is indicative of the best characters in games. It's like, there's more layers to Mm -hmm. that. If you look past that initial, I wouldn't even call it a facade, but just his, you know, very stoner like tendencies and the fact that they're in this mess. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to like double up on my uh magic brownies and these types of things. But at the same time, you know, as much as that might give you a laugh or something, it's like, no, there's actually more to that character if you choose to unpack that, which yeah. is like the layer of depth that I find most people say that they want in games. But at the same time, you know, you don't have a great deal of examples where it's like, you can get more out of characters than just kind of what is initially yeah. presented.
1: Yeah, it, it does add uh, a lot in that. And the dialogue things do help that you can sort of have these little things you didn't really expect is little offshoot conversations about nothing that really inform you of a person in a way that isn't like you know, exposition and stuff like that. Right. And then, yeah, I think that's definitely one of those things here where uh, your interpretation of a character can be very simple and close to anyone else's on the surface but depending on how you go through the story you'll have little quirks to each character you'll be like yeah but you you could literally do the yeah but you don't know them like I do sort of thing where you are basically mm-hmm. saying yeah but I know this about them and they do that and they're like that and it means that you know, certain characters feel lesser than others I think depending on how you go about things. But I think everyone moves out of their sort of archetypes quite well. I think, you know, that once yeah. you get whatever, you know, whatever story you do, you get enough for everybody to sort of understand a little about who they are, even if you do the the least amount with them. So yeah, there's some really cool dynamics as well, because of this whole, you know, setup of, you know, Alex, um, having to bring Jonas along, who's a, you know, new stepbrother and, just the whole baggage of, you know, what's happened with her own brother and, you know, having the ex-girlfriend of her brother there and, you know, her friends and this whole dynamic going on at, and so many different pots bubbling at the same time, basically, where they, none of them are really left alone. You know, there's always something going on with each of them. Yeah, I mean, think and known kind of feel slightly on the outside, just because that's their place in the story, you know. I think, but at the same time, they're performing their roles perfectly for the story. You need some characters like that. Not everyone can be like the character, like that, you know. And that's you know again a credit to the team in what they do there because they they make sure every character has something that is relevant to the story in their own way. And yeah, it works. Remarkably well again, doesn't
0: it? Which character on this recent playthrough stood out to you the most, perhaps, either in a way that you didn't appreciate initially when you played the game or just through new dialogue options, you kind of had a new revelation about a character or they just had more importance, perhaps, uh, in this playthrough? I think
1: this time Jonas was interesting because, you know, I always like that dynamic anyway. You know, it's like he's just being dragged along. It's awkward for him. You know, he knows the pressures of that, you know, the fact of being a brother to someone who's lost a brother. And with the way the game ended for me this time, I think just in that sort of end scene where they're all on the boat again and the way things changed and it changed the dynamic, obviously, I, I just, again, just kind of felt sorry for the character because he's still, like, on the outside, but now he has even less connection to the group, apart from, you know, he's hanging out with these people now. Just happens to be a case. Yeah, he just, you kind of feel sorry for him in the sense that he just gets dragged into all this because everyone else is happening to him. He's been made to be going along with all this. But yeah, it, it's a cool character in that sense. I think that relationship that is forming between him and Alex, you know, as it is, He's still allowed to breathe you know despite the fact that there's a, a huge focus on alex's his relationship for her former brother so yeah he, i really like that about having jonas this time um, i think clarissa you know it's easy to forget that you know there is a softer side to her and you can, then you begin to understand why she's you know so bitchy in your face and you know half the yeah half the time it's because you know she possessed as well which makes it even worse uh, <laughs> and like and then the whole like she dies and the options you're given to basically yeah you're manipulated in a little way to sort of think oh well you know she's a bit so it's fine if we if let this happen to her or that that happened to her but you yeah, you get those little flashback moments which are really well done and you know you get to know that she wasn't always like this and it's just her way of dealing with the grief of what happened, you know, and it feels a bit more natural at that point. So she goes from being this very, you know, stereotypically bitchy girl that you think, oh, she's got an attitude with her just because she's different sort of thing to, you know, she's hurting just the same as Alex is. And, you know, given the plans that she had, you know, it's painful to be reunited with the person that reminds you of what you've lost. And I think that goes both ways really in that story.
0: Well, and I think that Clarissa is a great example of how this studio handles writing in a way that takes it one extra step and it ends up being a huge compliment overall to the ensemble of how these characters are processing what's happened previously and what's happening currently to them. And, you know, with Clarissa, it was like the first time I played the game, It was kind of, I took her at face value. I'm like, well, I'm just going to basically try to alienate her as much as possible because she won't leave Alex alone and blaming her for what's happened, being responsible, even though, of course, that would be nonsense. But this playthrough, you know, giving her more benefit of the doubt and trying to view her through this new lens of someone that is, you know, they themselves are dealing with just as much trauma as a character like Alex is and trying to be more understanding Uh, And granted, you know, this is a number of years later that I'm returning to it and just trying to put myself a little bit more into some sympathetic shoes, I suppose. And if anything, it makes her that much more of a viable character that you actually want to, you know, explore even more of their background. Right. And kind of just getting to see the other side of that, you know, rage filled coin, Mm -hmm. if you will, Um, which I think ultimately, again, shows that. You know, all of the characters for the, mo- for the most part are complex and they're not just these one dimensional archetypes, kind of like we said. Um, and if you do the player does the digging on those characters through the dialogue options and whatnot, they can really see another side of them that, you know, I'm not going to necessarily say it reveals a new facet to the story, but it, at least it makes that character feel as if they are, you know, as much of as a real person as you could have a game character be. Yeah. Um because of that. And then that can also influence, you know, certain decisions you make pertaining to Clarissa and other characters yeah. and those relationships and whatnot, which I think, if anything, it shows that this is a game that while you could say like, you know, it's got a pretty cool haunting mystery to it and whatnot, but at the core of it, it tackles that sort of teen horror archetype, but takes it a step further that you don't necessarily always get to see. And typically in you know, horror games, when you have that teen ensemble, it's so rare that they break out of those molds in a way that's meaningful mm. outside of, you know, something that could be schlocky or just, you know, have a really big payoff for kills or something like that. You know, I'm thinking about like the quarry yeah. where you have those archetypes and then it's like, oh, you know, fuck that character. I can't wait for them to have this really awesome death because they're a piece of shit mm. or something. But in a game such as this, that doesn't have those same stakes where you don't have to worry about death in these things it pays to go back and actually, you know, do some digging on characters, narratively speaking, um, which can end up being incredibly rewarding. And I think that for a game such as this, that doesn't have a great deal of traditional downtime, and it's just the player exploring and there's no interruptions really. That's what makes this game not, you know, really burn out in a way that perhaps some other adventure horror games have. And it's like, oh, you get free reign and you get to wander around and explore, but Sometimes when you explore those places once, there's not much more to them, mm-hmm. and so to have the narrative make that second journey and you know inevitably a third playthrough at some point um, have a little bit more involvement, I suppose, or more rewards narratively is just something that I was not expecting and was pleasantly surprised by.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I was always admirable of it is that you know it never relies on cheap shocks or scares to do its supernatural stuff. But it is really Slow, methodical stuff. You know, teases out that weirdness incrementally, and that really works for it. And I think you get that beginning section that is very normal. And uh, at the time, oh, I was very much of a mind that it reminded me of Life is Strange because you know, it's another sort of teen teen drama in that sort of choice based environment where something slightly supernatural is involved. And but everything in the beginning of it is very ordinary, just a sort of punch home the uh, teenage nature of it. You know, Life is Strange got a lot of flack for like not being teenage enough and you know, being written by people who weren't teenagers. And, you know, I mean, this <laughs> is the same here, but I think in both cases, game these games capture the essence of the teenagers, you know, rather than just trying to go for one particular era. You know, there, there's a generalness to it. And it that's the way it's got to be, I think, because if you try to keep with a time and a place it it can grate you know it can grate and age like milk you know if um, certain (laughs) vernacular vocabulary just go the way of the dodo very soon um so yeah i like that this dialogue just ends up being very you know general like that and then when you get to this sort of wider mystery it all just comes a part and nice little chunks and you get to learn more of it quite naturally you can learn even more if you want you know there's little room to explore but it's there if you want it and i think that makes you know trawling through certain places back and forth a little bit interesting as you get more tools to sort of deal with things is that you can just sort of go back to places you've been and like uncover yeah you know, lost signals letters and things like that yeah you know, very standard stuff but because the story is made interesting by the characters and you kind of want to know more about why the hell this is all happening before you get to most of the revelations of why. Um, Yeah, it it does kind of encourage you to sort of drink it in. And again, I go back to that atmosphere, you know, and just along, it's a real package, isn't it? Because you have these visuals, you know, these sort of hand painted backgrounds that look wonderful. You know, they just still to this day, breathtaking and those characters you don't really get to see up close which you know smart decision for a small studio don't focus too much on you know the details on the character just you know the overall sort of picture of them you know this person has this color hair or this color jacket or whatever and then that music again it just oh, the music is just fantastic yeah as in multiple ways but we'll get all, to all that um yeah it's just interesting how it ekes out that spookiness, you know, as it goes and it just becomes more surreal and it does those very well, now quite tropey things of like, you know, distortion and feedback and, you know, all these sort of very video real sort of effects that we were only actually praising recently and like horror bites of so a couple of games that used a bit of that and yeah, but it, it fits the overall motif of what they're going for you know, and the more you learn about the island, the more it makes sense. And yeah, I, I think, for a game that isn't like full on horror in what many people would consider a traditional way. I think it's got a real dread thing going on, you know, as you get through it, but there's the inevitability of what it is and you know, just how helpless it makes you feel for the characters and their situation. And yeah, in, in terms of being a ghost story, yeah, you know, I think it's one of the best ones told in video game form, out of doubt, because it uses similar sort of things, you know, the, you know, the whole, oh, you know, they want to possess you and take over, thank you, it's like that, but it's done in a way that it's just not demons, you know, which is normally the thing. It's a very much a case of, no, we don't want to be here anymore, we've been stuck here forever, and we we've basically figured out this plan to make sure that you're the people that are going to help us in that regard.
0: Well, I love too that they're able to take that classic, you know, trope of a haunting and whatnot. And the fact that, you know, Oh, we want to actually leave this ghostly realm and walk once again amongst the earth with our fellow humans, but they make it very singular in the sense that it's related to this environment, which is very unique, which is Edward's Island, which is essentially a character in and of itself. Right. Um, And I think that, That was something that I appreciated more on my recent playthrough of it was that I was exploring more of the island and seeking out more of those, you know, frequencies Mm. and whatnot, which the only real gameplay nature of this other than wandering around and interacting with dialogue with characters is that you have a radio basically, which you tune into certain frequencies, which then can give you an additional like tidbits of music and things. You can learn different facts about the island. And then there's these secret messages, but it's also used, you know, to solve certain puzzles and Mm -hmm. whatnot. Tune into the ray frequency. You can have an effect on like a rift that opens up a ghostly rift or later on, um, like opening up doors and locks and things like that. Um, But overall, you know, having a mechanic such as that of the radio and utilizing that in a way that, you could completely play through the game and not actually do for a majority of those additional signals and these things. But again, it keeps coming back to this is a world that is far richer, I think, than people realize on one playthrough yeah. of the game. And if anything, you know, it really does sort of feel like the best approach to a ghost story in that, you know what? If you just want to get from A to B and run through this story, run through these relationships and whatnot, don't pry too much. You can do that. But there's a lot more history there. And if anything, it makes the game that much more interesting, which kind of channels um, the aspect of like hauntings and ghost movies Mm -hmm. that typically, you know, get brushed over pretty quickly. It's like, how did this all begin? Why is this happening? And to see a game tackle a ghost story like that and have the history be unique to this setting. But at the same time, having the actual depth and and forcing certain parts of player bases to like Have the investigatory depth that you would probably want from something like this and like, oh, no, I really want to get to the sort of nitty gritty of why this is happening. Who is responsible for this? The ramifications for that and the ramifications, you know, past and present. Um, That is something that, you know, I don't necessarily know that we see in a great deal of ghost or haunting Mm. games. Right. It's typically sort of the larger set piece moment, somebody gets possessed, somebody that's possessed kills somebody and then the ramifications of that. And it's typically with hauntings, it's tied to big set piece moments or big moments that typically the stakes are quite high for characters. Yeah. And a lot of this, and I think a lot of the reward of Oxen Free and that deep dive is that you're rewarded with just information that doesn't necessarily fundamentally change how the game is played, but at the same time, it's just furthermore, Making this seem like an experience that is just a lot deeper, I think than we typically get. And an example of like really stellar writing that doesn't rely on, I suppose the sort of traditional arcs, if yeah. you will, or the you know the character pyramid, if you will of uh, you know how these things typically play out um, which kind of again feeds into the vibe of the game, which we'll unpack a little bit more when we come back from our break. but um, it's nice to, have a relaxed haunting, Mm. if you will. You know, we talk a lot about sort of horror that can be the bridging or the gap, I suppose, for younger horror fans to get into the genre more and more. And this really does seem like the type of game that you could sit down and play with, you know, younger kids, teens that are into horror. They're not ready for super extreme stuff, but this sort of gives them a flavor of a haunting in a way that is more approachable. But at the same time, you know, has a vested interest in presenting a higher quality, I think, than most people are probably expecting from something that presents itself as teenagers on an island that's haunted, right? Yeah. That's kind of like a very almost nondescript uh, sort of thing. Where, But it, with something such as Oxenfree, um, it feels like it's given the right amount of attention yeah. that it deserves to each of those qualities. Because initially when this was released, it took me probably a year to play it because I was just like, Oh, you know, I like the look of it, but it's this teen sort of horror. I mean, is that going to just play out like CW show or something along those Mm -hmm. lines? But then once I actually sat down and got past that and played it, I was like, Oh no, this is actually an experience that is far richer than I was expecting. And at the same time, it's a credit to the writing team that, you know, you can have characters that break out of that archetype. Yeah. And I think we've you know talked to nauseum at this point about that, where it's just like, you can do these things really well in a way that's meaningful, that breaks out of the, just that traditional mold. Um, and, you know, it's amazing that seven years later, the writing and the characters themselves has held up exceedingly well, mostly because they don't overly rely on, you know, whether that be character tropes or just at the end of the day, the general approach to writing, which lacks the sort of referential shit that we see constantly Mm -hmm. where it's like typically now whenever you see anything with teens and games it's like very referential to the degree that well when you're experiencing that in the moment you're like well this is going to be outdated in like nine months like why are we talking about these things or why are you like hitting certain points so hard it's like just move on make it be very personable why is this important to these people specifically rather than just referencing, you know, pop culture or whatever <laughs> constantly.
1: Yeah, immediately then, you know, the Netflix connection comes to mind and the Resident Evil series and uh, that mm-hmm. whole you know, barrage of pop culture nonsense that, that's in that show that is going to just make the already terrible thing age worse because it's just going to be like, "Yep, what, what the fuck does any of this mean? Yeah, <laughs> I like sort of thing. But yeah, yep. it's uh, quite funny to think that, you know, in terms of their game studio, they have this, yeah, in the, there on Netflix alongside that sort of representation which is not unusual for Netflix to have that kind of very stereotypical teen drama sort of nonsense so yeah, yeah it it kind of shows a lot of that up nicely i think
0: my one hope and i've played spoiler i've played about 10 minutes of oxen free 2 um so i can't really comment on you know whether or not you can feel a great deal of that netflix influence but The one thing that I think will be the saving grace for Oxenfree 2 and, you know, Netflix being the publisher is that Netflix is so sparingly, it seems, publishing games Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, when they announced that they were going to be doing games and whatnot, the types of games that you see on there have either been ports or they've been follow-ups from creatives that, you know, we hadn't seen in quite a while. Like I'm thinking of um, um, Downwell. Yeah,
1: Downwell. Is that the
0: one? Yeah, Downwell, um, where they had that creator who hadn't made a game since that, I believe, made something. And from what I'd played of that game, it felt like a natural continuation Mm. from their skill set or their tendency for making these arcade style games um, and the sort of addictive nature of something like Downwell. um, That was very simplistic, but again, you know, very refined in that core arcade experience and just a general read sort of of the catalog of games that Netflix is offering or publishing. It's such a limited pool that I feel like they're so inexperienced in that space that they really can't afford to dabble too much into Mm. the sort of games and whatnot. Now, granted we'll see once we get around next week and chatting about Oxenfree too. But at the same time, you know, when you have something that is a hit and then the follow-up to that, it's like, Are they really going to risk the goodwill of, you know, publishing Mm -hmm. the follow up to a game such as Oxenfree that they're going to allow, you know, their sort of mark to even be noticeable on that? I'm hopeful. No. Um, But at the same time, it's the type of thing we'll we'll wait and see. But um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to chat a little bit more about Edwards Island as a setting the sort of general vibe of this game and what really does allow this to be that kind of singular uh, approach to a haunting in a very special environment. And we are back from our break. And for Edwards Island as a setting, you know, for you, Neil, we've kind of alluded a little bit to like the overall vibe of Oxenfree. We mentioned, you know, the art style and these things, but, you know, for you, what stands out the most? Would it be the music? Would it be the environment, the art style? Like, we're gonna talk about all of this, but like for you personally, <laughs> what what really resonates with you the most in that regard?
1: Yeah, you have gotta know me from all the talks we've had. <laughs> then the mu- the yep. music is gonna be <laughs> the thing. I think it's just because of the way it's utilized though, it's not all just about playing soundtrack. There's like when you ever you do those sort of um you know, loop puzzles, if you will, where you have to sort of wind the, the dials around to sort of break the loop. That and the music that plays is this really discordant sort of thing that sounds like the beginning of um, oh, what's that song? It's a Duran Duran song, it sounds like a Duran Duran song. That's what uh, let's say, you know, don't say a prayer for me now, save it till the morning after. That's the one, um, yeah, it's just that's all the ways that sticks in my mind because of that loop in the same way that um, I think it was Layers of Fear had something in the beginning of it that had this really like dingly dingly loop that reminded me of something else. And just in those moments it just sets a really clear tone that something's different about what you're going through. And that's for the twenty sixteen sort of time that it came out, musically it fits nicely. But yeah, I, I think it's just very experimental in a lot of ways that I really appreciate it. You know, I think um but it yeah it's definitely a package deal whatever you do with it because I think without the art direction without the, the the dialogue the way it is without the design of the island itself um, it's all just separate pieces and I think you know, that happens in some games where you can just say oh look at that soundtrack that's really good I like that or the visuals and this are great whatever and other bits aren't so good but here I think all of it relies on each other. And, and that's, you know, I'm always going to pick music because I think music is really good at tying things together in you know, that way. And the conversation system is so good and words are great when they use that well. But yeah, something about the music here just transports me to some sort of other realm in a way. It just, it works for that place. It feels otherworldly and haunted. Um, Yeah. And like I said, I just love the way that it just is manipulated depending on the situation to represent what is going on. Whilst I mean, it's all basically the same soundtrack if you boil it down, but it's changed in those little subtle ways depending on how those things are going. And I like that in a soundtrack, that some of the best soundtracks are ones that fundamentally use the same key score idea and then twist and turn it for different situations where it's like yeah oh yeah this sounds cool like that and you get used to these regular beats like i said hearing that loop that bit of music that is slowed down and distorted for the main loop that sounds very Duran duran-esque and it, it it absolutely works for me so
0: yeah that would be my pick we should mention the uh, composers andrew uh Rorman's- Score and he goes by the stage name SCNTFC, which I think is supposed to be scientific. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, scientific. There you go. Um, But, you know, I'm really taken with this score mostly because it perfectly captures the supernatural aura of Oxenfree while not being overly sinister. There's definitely been some games that have included scores that have been almost too overbearing in a way that it does not necessarily match sort of the vibe of the horror for certain projects. Yeah. Um, and I think with something like Oxen Free, that is kind of relaxed horror haunting, if you will, um, this sort of score is perfect, you know, because it's not tied to specific set pieces. I'm almost positive I'd read that um, from the developers where they were saying like they wanted music that you could basically play from start to finish and it didn't necessarily have these moments that were Tied to a specific story beat yeah. or something like that. It was kind of this one just this flowing track that more or less captures the tone of what's happening and doesn't really let up, but at the same time, it doesn't have massive spikes, which I think for something like this that has, you know, narrative stakes overall, but it, you know, the minute-to-minute stakes are not super high because it's not built upon, you know, intensity or something like that. And so to have something that perfectly captures sort of this sleepy island, maritime setting and whatnot. But at the same time, it feels very analog, which is a reflection largely of sort of the island and its history, which, you know, dabbling back into, you know, the Edwards Island and the role that played in World War II. And you find out about this tragedy of the submarine full of U.S. soldiers that basically was shot down as a result of friendly fire and everything. And, you know, I love a soundtrack that can feel both modern, but also, reflective of a history that occurred before the player actually shows up yeah. to an environment, but in a way that feels very natural oh, yeah. and free flowing sort of between those influences. I mean, it's no surprise that uh carpenter, John Carpenter was a point yeah. of reference I mean, for yeah. the composer. And, you know, it's very clearly uh, a synth heavy score, but at the same time, it has that analog flavor to it, if you will. And I think even, you know, they've recorded things through like world war II era, um, radios and whatnot. But at the same time, it kind of just, again, it kind of feels very evocative of the vibe of like sleepy maritime yeah. setting and whatnot, uh, which is something that I think is really important, especially once you begin to pair it with the fantastic. And as you mentioned, you know, breathtaking artwork of Heather Gross, um, who did, you know, these backgrounds that I described as being like oil painting esque mm. almost, in the way that they kind of play around with color and whatnot, that it makes it feel a lot denser, I think, than it is. Um, And there's actually like a technique um, that this art style abides by called parallaxing, which is where background images move past the camera more slowly than the foreground, which creates the illusion of depth in a 2D scene of distance. Um, And for people that don't know, Oxenfree is a 2.5D game, much in the same way that uh, Inside is, which is something we've covered on the show previously, right? And I think here, though, you also have the sense of verticality, which is really what differentiates it from these kind of 2 2.5D side-scrolling adventure horror games, right? Because you have environments that are far taller that you can explore and whatnot, which I think makes this particular graphical style that much more apparent mm-hmm. and that much more... I think just deriving a lot out of something that if you kind of just think about it, it's like very simplistic, but at the same time, you know, they're playing with this elaborate sort of, um, I suppose artistic toolkit to make so much more out of the limited sort of size of this experience and a game that's made in unity after all, you know, with, with horror bites, we cover plenty of games that are made in unity and, Sometimes we remark just like, you know, maybe there were certain limitations or whatnot in Unity that accounted for this. But, you know, after revisiting Oxenfree, that sort of excuse or explanation is basically being removed from my vocabulary moving forwards. Because, you know, you can see what such talented artists can do with a system like Unity Mm. or an engine like Unity. Um, And it's really just about that sort of artistic style utilizing the most of that engine that really does make this, you know, this breathtaking looking experience. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I think their own personal experiences working elsewhere probably helped as well to sort of get them into the groove of that. Um, yeah, about that sort of design as well, I think one of the really smart things you get is that when you get the map, you know, thing of like the island like that, and it's very caricatured version of the island, but it fits the you know the scope of what you're actually on because you're viewing it in that way that almost feels like you're walking through a map. That very, walking through that very map, you know, like that it's just, you know, with the verticality as you said. It, it's like a real one to one thing a, a lot of the time. And, you know, that's rare, you know, mapped in games usually like top down at this or whatever like that. And this is very much side on as it is, preserved and perfectly, you know, which is good because you know it's very simple in sort of little arrow saying could go down this way to go this way you could go that way you can still get lost if you're not really paying attention to it um which can be annoying because you know that means trudging through several maps and you don't really walk particularly fast but yeah it's a real dedication i think to you know getting the whole design thing being consistent from map to screen and uh, in a way that like i said don't really see very often.
0: Yeah, and I think that they do such a great job with Edward's Island in not allowing Oxenfree to feel like one long trek through the same wilderness, right? Mm. I think that that was kind of one of my fears with returning to this game was that, oh, you know, well, it's this basically four-hour experience. Is it going to feel like one long, never-ending trek through the same sort of woodland environment? But they do a really great job, I think, of... Making this island feel pretty natural in terms of its various set pieces and whatnot, and the history that's associated with that, having some semblance of an explanation for why, you know, there are these certain landmarks and whatnot, you know, the military base, and then you've got this radio tower, you've got the sort of more touristy aspect, you do have a fair bit amount of woods to wander through and whatnot, but more importantly, I think it does a good enough job of not making certain sections just feel like a repeating of other areas. It really does. And, you know, to your credit, um, sometimes it can be a little annoying when you do backtracking because of the speed at which Alex moves and the other characters move and whatnot. But I think that overall the backtracking on my playthrough was not as much of a hindrance in my experience, just because again, you know, the art style for each section is varying enough But more importantly, I had forgotten, you know, how frequent those uh, time loops or flashbacks are, which then, you know, feed into the story, gets more into the supernatural aspect of what's going on there. But ultimately, you know, I'm always such a fan of developers that can make retracing your steps be rewarding more than just like an item. Right. And something like a Metroidvania, obviously, if you have to backtrack because you have a new piece of equipment, inevitably you're going to open up a new avenue or there's a new item for you to unlock or something like that. But in something like this that's not item reliant or you know really gameplay reliant in a lot of ways, the fact that they give you these narrative rewards for retracing your steps, either in a flashback, which you know gives you more information about the trauma that they are all experiencing to a certain degree, to varying degrees. But at the same time, you know, you get to see a little bit more behind the curtain of the mystery yeah. and whatnot, and why is this happening and the sort of implications of that. And then, you know, if anything, this time, I think I spent five and a half or six hours on a playthrough, almost doubled my initial playthrough because I was going around and looking for those additional radio signals. Every time I found a billboard that was tied to a specific landmark, I was tuning into that, which is kind of just like for anybody that's been to a museum, um, you can like listen to those audio tour guides. Mm -hmm. It's basically that on the island, but based on a radio uh, frequency and whatnot. Um, which I just found to be really rewarding, again, because it's an environment that, at face value, you could be like, you know, okay, cool, this is different, I'll move on. But when you spend the extra time, you get that much more of a return Hmm. on fully uh, understanding this place and its history in a way that, um, you know, can feel like a museum, but it's informative and interesting at the end of the day. Yeah, that's
1: it. And uh, I like that you can have that sort of historical context to everything. You know, the characters are somewhat you know, trained in, you know, but there, there is stuff they aren't quite there with. It. it gets revealed, obviously, through the way the story goes. Now, yeah, something that quite shocked me about this game coming back to it is that I, I went back to the review I did for this back in 2016. And, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the ending then. Uh, you know, I, I felt that that unraveled everything. And yet, I don't know, coming back to it with that knowledge getting a different ending to be fair this time and really just sort of soaking it in i appreciated it differently you know i think that you know i you know i talked about earlier the sort of things that felt you know stood the test of time but here this is something that changed for me big time you know like i was fearing a lot more that you know i'd come into this game and find you know more to dislike and you know, like I said, the cracks showing on a few things more than they needed to, which you know, is fine. You know, when a sequel's coming out, you kind of, well, you're curious then about how that will then sort of evolve that thing given you know, they did stuff with games like After Party in the meantime and then to this. Um, but yeah, the ending now for me just felt a lot stronger. I think just giving it, not reviewing it in that traditional sense and just playing it my own leisure made it a more enjoyable experience yeah I think quite fittingly for the you know the whole ghosts plan thing of like you know having them on the island long enough to basically soak themselves into them you know and it's like (laughs) that's what the game needs for you to appreciate is for you to just soak in everything it's doing from beginning to end and not be like trying to get to that resolution and yeah I just I think it's actually a game that i come back to can admit that maybe it's not as fresh in little bits as i once thought it was but i think overall it's ended up feeling like a better game than i ever gave it credit for Yeah, you know, and i really really liked it you know, it was one of my favorite games of that year but at the same time it was that little ending bit that gave, you know threw me off somehow yeah, now I just look back at that review and think I must be mad because it's just like, yeah, like it, it's it's really well done. You know, I think the whole thing and the, the time loop aspect of it and the the bittersweet nature of the whole thing, anyway, it's just. I think, I think what's helped is we've had a lot of fucking time loop stuff since, and, and yes. sort of normalised that, whereas it kind of felt like an outlier at that point. So yeah, it, it was a. That was my favorite sort of revelation, I think, from this game in the playthrough again.
0: I definitely appreciated the ending a lot more than I did. And it's, you know, shame on me for just, I think, at the end of my first playthrough, I kind of had my mind wrapped around the idea of like a traditional haunting has this massive ending, this explosive ending that either, you know, they're able to break free of the haunting or the cycle is going to continue, yeah. type of thing. And, you know, Part of it was when I played that, which was in 2016 or 2017, and you know, maturing a little bit and just getting a better idea of the type of ghost story that was being told here mm. and really the, the outcome of the ending of the original, it really just being all about how what has happened has influenced those relationships and whatnot, and that being the focal point of the conclusion, that's something that took me some time and mostly in the second playthrough um, to really appreciate. Mm. And it's the thing where it's like, Yeah, because if the game's finale has this massive explosive ending tied directly to the haunting and rather than the focus being on the core characters and their relationships, it kind of goes against the whole point of the game at the end of the day, right? Um, And one of the game's biggest strengths, I think. And something also that um, I didn't really mention was just overall, you know, the voice acting. Mm Is really, really stellar in this. And the fact that, you know, you have these characters that come in and you get so much out of not only their dialogue, but more importantly, just the way in which characters are able to just, you know, the inflex of their voice in these things like that. And it feels like characters that you get a true sense of. And especially when, you know, when you think about the perspective of this game and it being so zoomed out. That was one of those things, also that when I played the game initially, I was kind of like, "Well, I want to zoom in more. I can't see nearly yeah. enough. But this playthrough it made me think, "Oh, well, what a testament to how well this game is overall composed and made that it can be as zoomed out as it is, but you immediately you know pick up on who's speaking and whatnot just based off of you know how distinctly different their voices yeah. are. And, you know, they're not really being a weak link amongst this core cast of five characters in that regard. Um, It's the type of thing where, you know, it just makes me look at potentially other horror games that have attempted things similarly that I might not have actually given the time of day just because of initially being like, you know, I don't really not really interested. in again, you know, a a group of teenagers that are dealing with this or that type of Mm. setting for a horror game. But Oxenfree made me realize that once again and refreshing my memory that it's like, no, you can do those things and tackle those things that are so often, you know, so poorly done and overly reliant on tropes. But you can actually do those things to the degree with which you can make them engaging for people of all ages, that it breaks from that sort of uh, that CW mold, if you will, which I was so fearful this game would be marred by. But, um, you know, in revisiting this game, obviously, it just makes me... Even more excited, and especially after playing uh, the Oxen Free 2 demo for the Tribeca yeah. f- Festival last year, um, just to dive into Oxen Free 2 and getting to see, you know, characters and whatnot that perhaps we've seen in the previous game, getting to see, you know, how their stories are unfolding, the island itself, and returning to that, seeing the ways in which, you know, they could expand on Edwards Island and all of these things. But at the same time, you know, just seeing that same level of production value that they gave to the original um, and seeing if you know Netflix being a publisher either helps or hinders that mm. sort of level of production. Because um, that's ultimately what I'm most interested in, especially because the world is bigger, but also it's a much longer experience. It's about twice the length, I believe, yeah. of the original game. So it'll be interesting, I think, for us to dive into Oxenfree 2 next week and just see you know the changes, but also if they were able to um, sort of even more strongly refine what was such a standout about the original. Yeah,
1: I mean, I very much made a point of replaying this before playing Oxford awesome Free 2. Um, which, you know, unfortunately, due to other commitments, meant that uh, there's a bit more spaced out than I'd wanted. Yeah, and I still also just wanted to be able to get to this podcast having not played Oxford awesome Free 2, because I didn't really want that to sort of inform my mind Uh, Beyond playing that demo last year, which uh, was a taster in every sense of the word. Um, But I was so far removed from the original game, you know, there's stuff I didn't know if I was just misremembering from what I knew or if it was just, you know, new or not. So yeah, I am very intrigued to see where it goes with this sequel. And, you know, I think one of the things I am slightly comforted by in Netflix's gaming division is the kind of games that they, they pick tend to be suitable for their platform, and they're not afraid to let games be what they are. You know, I look at you know, Immortality was on there, yeah, you know, for instance, you know, Into the Breach is on there. Things that so, if those kind of things can be on it, if Immortality can be on it, I think we'll probably be fairly safe. So, Oxen Free 2 has not been meddled with all that much at all, and you know, and Netflix get their end of it really because they're. Getting a TV show made out of it, you know, an animated series. I think so. Again, will be very interesting to see how that's adapted because you really have to kind of tap into that sort of flowing dialogue and uh, having the writing be as good, but you don't have the choice. So, or do mm-hmm. they do the choice? That, 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 that I mean, that would be the fascinating thing. Do you make one of those choice-based shows which Netflix have done for kids a lot? You know, I mean, they mm-hmm. did it with the Black Mirror episode as well, the Band of Snatch one, but. Yeah, I remember. funny enough, telltale stuff like Minecraft Story Mode being on there, you know, adapted for television. You know, so and it's still basically the game, but you know, with a Netflix remote and very simplified options. It'd be cool to see if you could do something similar on Netflix with that. Yeah, that that would be a fascinating sort of diversion from what they were doing.
0: Yeah, I think that. That's the thing, right, is that we can – it's very easy to be, I suppose, gloom and doom when you see Netflix or someone getting involved with these products that – or games or shows that kind of had very humble beginnings, mm-hmm. I think, and were able to do very a lot with very little. And the fear, you know, is always like the overlords, basically, powers that be interfering with that original creativity – because they feel they can overreach because of however much of a budget they're giving them as being the publisher or these things like that. Um, but at the same time, there's that benefit of utilizing technology that somebody like Netflix has and seeing how you can adapt yeah. pre-existing IPs to that. It's not always going to work as we've seen previously, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, I think you and I are both very open to experimentation with you know pre-existing IPs yeah. and these things. And who know, who's to say that... You couldn't get an animated series that's based on, you know, again, that's sort of like Bandersnatch approach, if you will, for other types of uh, properties Mm. such as Oxenfree and whatnot. Um, But it is the type of thing when I think you talk about, you know, the games portion of Netflix business versus the actual sort of streaming version of Netflix's business where you're just like, okay, you can see a certain amount of hands on making sense when it's their sort of technology and their approach to something. But when you're dealing in the realm of games, Netflix doesn't have a whole lot of business, you know, influencing anything, basically, because of the fact that, you know, that's not where their basis uh, for their business lies or even that they have the wherewithal to properly sort of have a say in what a game should look like or anything like that. Um, So it's it'll be interesting, I think, and Oxenfree 2 will probably be the first major test just to see, you know, whether or not there is that influence there. But at the same time, it could serve as an example of like, no, nope, Netflix knows when they need to keep sort of their their myths out of uh, certain. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: it kind of when you think about it, it feels very much like it's the same point for games now as Netflix, ironically, was back in say 2016, you know, where it was really just kind of letting things flow, letting programs come out, let them be their own thing, and like getting hits quite consistently out of that, you know, and. Uh, so the meddling may yet come, but um, for now, <laughs> for now, I think this, you know, this game was Free Two was in development before they got taken over, so that's not too bad. Um, and in some ways, it's probably better for the game in terms of like budget and promotion and things like that. Not the Netflix are the best at promoting their own things half the time, but um, <laughs> yeah, when when they yeah, but when they solely you know own a company, maybe it's a bit different. So yeah, I'd hope to see uh, a bit more from them in that regard. We shall see. We shall see.
0: We shall see. And we don't have too much longer to wait because next week, as I've mentioned, we'll be chatting about Oxenfree 2 and whatnot. I've only played about 10 minutes at this point, so I can't uh, form any semblance of an opinion on that yet. But uh, very excited to dive into that and just getting to explore more of what was uh, a very brief tease that we saw during Tribeca last year. Um, So I look very much forward to diving into that with you and unpacking that and whatnot. But uh, yeah, man, as always, it is a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Indeed it was, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. As always, our new episodes for Safe Room drop every Monday, but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our Indie Horror Showcase release every Thursday. You can follow our Horror Bites Twitter account at horrorbytes underscore sr join our discord channel safe room podcast to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love and finally you can send emails to pod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next monday